Tonight here at GCM, we're going to continue through uh, our Bible teachings and, and tonight's lessons on the book of Obadiah. Uh, Obadiah is this tiny little book in the end of the Old Testament. Um, it's only about 21 verses long, so it's pretty easy to flip over it considering some of those books are a lot bigger. But it's one of the minor prophets. You know, it, it's set kind of right smack dab in the middle of the book. It's probably just one page unless you got a study Bible, and then it still might be still one page. But, you know, the book of Obadiah, Obadiah is a, a series of poems that, that he has written. You know, it's prophesying divine judgment on Edom. Edom was a, a neighboring nation um, right next to Israel, kind of on the other side of the, on the river, other side of the Dead Sea. You know, that they were related to the Israelites. You know, they were kind of distant cousins. You know, if you look back in the genealogies, you know, that they had the same ancestry. You know, you go back to Abraham and Sarah, you know, that they had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. You know, Isaac married Rebekah. And then they had two sons, you know, Jacob and Esau. You know, and... Here's this common, you know, theme that you're starting to see that the birthright skipped over the firstborn, which was very rare, you know, in that time that, you know, if you were the firstborn son, then you were going to have everything handed off to you. But Ishmael was the firstborn son, and then the birthright got passed on to Isaac. You know, that there was a, a prophecy saying that, <clears throat> you know, that Jacob was going to take on the birthright because he was the second-born son, and he was actually born grabbing the heel of Esau. You know, and there's a lot of tension in the family because of these birthrights. Technically, if you were to predate and go back in time and go follow the lineage, the reasons why the Muslims and the and the Jews can't get along is that the the root of Islam is in Ishmael, and the root to, to Judaism is in Isaac. So because this family feud is dated thousands of years, these two people groups still can't get along. So technically, there won't be peace until the Middle East, until everybody gets saved. But because of this family feud be, between you know, Jacob and, and Esau... You know, Jacob kind of steals the birthright, or they trick him. They trick his father. You know, they trick, you know, Esau. And basically, Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. He must have been really, really hungry. But, you know, how many times do we reach towards something that has very little value in our life, and we throw Jesus out the window? You know, that... You know, that bowl of soup can be pornography, that bowl of soup can be beer, that bowl of soup can be drugs of some sort, that bowl of soup could be a relationship, that bowl of soup can be a variety of different things that we've made into an idol in our lives and we, we trade Jesus for something so much less, such insignificance, gone in a second, not satisfied. 
But because of this deception, you know, Israel takes off and he goes to hang out with his his other family members in a different part of the the, the Middle East. <clears throat> but because of this tension, you know, there's constant conflict between Israel and Esau. Eventually, those kingdoms, you know, it, you know, Jacob turned into Israel. They, you know, God renamed them, and Esau, you know, and his family lineage became called, you know, Edom or the Edomites or the Israelites. You know, these are the the family systems. So they kind of partnered every now and again, and then there was conflict often in the land. But as <clears throat> You know, Israel was, you know, Israel was continuing to sin and Judah was continuing to sin and the prophets were constantly telling them that, you know, that judgment was coming, the day of the Lord was going to be coming upon them. You know, eventually that day came for Israel and Edom took full advantage of it. You know, how many times have we taken advantage of somebody else's demise? Or how many times has somebody taken advantage of our demise? You know, that there's conflict in our families. You know, our family systems can be pretty corrupted. Our family systems can be pretty broken. You know, apart from Jesus, you know, there's always strife. There's always conflict. There's always fighting. Normally, our our best fights are with people that are in our family, right? You know, and it's because there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of hatred. You know, there's... Always jealousy. You know, so Edom took advantage and, and, and after, you know, the Assyrian or Babylon came in and, and ransacked Israel, you know, the Edomites took advantage. They plundered and attacked the other Israelite cities as Jerusalem was under attack. So their army was preoccupied. You know, how many times have we seen opportunities to take advantage of people that are our friends or our loved ones? You know, the famous saying is that you, we helped people steal, we stole someone's wallet and then we helped them look for it. You know, the, the Edomites were taking advantage of the refugees, you know, some of the Israelite refugees that were being left behind or being transported into different places, you know, and, you know, there was a lot of injustice. The Edom was destroying God's people, even though God had put, placed judgment on them and was using Babylon, what Edom was doing was unjust. So there's times that God comes through and brings correction, brings brings discipline, you know, makes us go through a difficult time because of our sin. But then if someone takes advantage of that moment, you know, God will deal with that person. And that's exactly what Obadiah is proclaiming is that God is going to to set things right with Edom. You know, as they're killing the refugees and, and plundering and, and ransacking the different cities as, you know, Jerusalem and, and Israel's army is preoccupied with Babylon or basically being destroyed, you know, Edom is taken out you know, every advantage that they can, can, and they're sinning against God and God's chosen people. You know, when we're in our workplaces or when we're in our families and there's people that are attacking us, you know, 
that so often we want to attack back, right? But if we trust in God's timing and God's ways, that God deals with people in certain ways. You know, that so often we we sin and because there's not an instant consequence that gives us the mindset that I can keep doing this said thing. I got away with it. I got away with it. I got away with it. And before we know it, we're going down the wrong road and we got some momentum. You know, and just because we get away with it doesn't mean that God's not seeing it. How often are we on the way to go do something that we shouldn't go do and we hear the little voice tell us not to do it? And and we still do it anyway. Even better yet is how many times are we on the way to go do something we know we're not supposed to do and we hear the little voice tell us not to do it and the little voice tells us what's going to happen once we go there. And we go do it anyway and we get there and the destruction and the chaos is exactly how we heard the little voice say it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, see, to me, you know, I spent most of my life in and out of the church, but I got dragged to church as a kid. You know, and in my late teens and my 20s, I, I ran far from God. But there was a lot of times that I knew what I was doing was wrong. And because I knew what I was doing was wrong, and painful things continued to happen to me, I got angry at God. I got so angry at God that I said that I didn't believe in Him. But what I've learned is you can't be angry at someone and think they don't exist at the same time. Atheism makes sense. (laughs) But see, what I've learned is even before I'd really given my life to Christ, the little voice, which I would call the Holy Spirit, that loving God was trying to come and get me time and time again. Because I was stubborn and I was prideful and I wanted to do what I wanted to do, I disregarded the little voice and I went and did the very thing that the little voice was telling me not to do. And a lot of times I knew exactly what was going to happen and the consequences were immediate. And I didn't listen and I got correction. I got painful things. And then I would get mad at God because... Why can't I just have fun? That was always my excuse. I'm just trying to have fun. <clears throat> the cops would be arresting me. I'm just trying to have fun. <laughs> you know, they were always disrupting my fun. You just let me have fun. But something I've come to learn over the years is that I'm on my way to sin. And the Holy Spirit's trying to get me to not sin. And the Holy Spirit's telling me what's going to happen if I do sin. And so often because my selfish desires, my will, my flesh, whatever you want to call it, is pulling me so strongly, I bypass the roadblocks, I bypass the little voice, I bypass the Holy Spirit into sin. And then chaos happens. However, if I've heard the little voice, and all of you've heard the little voice, the people that have abused us, the people that have hurt us, the people that have traumatized us, also heard the little voice. 
And they didn't listen to the little voice. And they were told what would happen if they didn't listen to the little voice. And they proceeded past the roadblocks. Just as I've passed the roadblocks, just as you've passed the roadblocks, those people have passed the roadblocks. And sin happens. Sin takes place. Sin corrupts. Sin destroys. Sin hurts. There is no way that we can continue to sin and not believe that destruction will come. Even if it's a secret sin, even if it's a private sin, even if we think it's not that bad, even if we think that we're having fun. Sin brings destruction. It is rebellion against God. It's rebellion against God's way. And see, people have sinned against us and caused all sorts of issues. You know, I've been molested. I've been abused. I've been rejected. I've been abandoned. I've been betrayed. I've been lied to. I've been cheated on. I've been stolen from. People have sinned against me. People have sinned against you. But see, the point that I'm trying to make is that that same loving God that was trying to protect me from doing the things that I was about to do, the same loving God was trying to protect them from what they were about to do and protect us just as He was trying to protect the people that we've sinned against. So even prior to Jesus, a loving God has been trying to intersect our lives and trying to bring us to the understanding that what we're about to do is going to bring pain. But it's not until we have come to an understanding that I can't live my life my way and I need Jesus in my life. That I finally accept Him and I surrender my life to Him and I repent of my sins. So then when I'm about to go sin and I hear the little voice, I should be able to stop myself because I know that that's the Holy Spirit coming into the equation saying, don't go that way, my son. Painful things are about to happen. And see, now that I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm able to listen to the Holy Spirit, and hopefully I don't go to the places that I used to go prior to having any relationship with Jesus. Because before I had no control over my flesh, that I would get into sinful relationships, that I would be deceitful, that I would be a liar, that I would tell people straight through their face, that no, I'm not doing that. Some of us got really good at lying that we could stare somebody right in the eyes. Don't laugh too loudly. People will know it's you. How often did I want my own way? How often did I not want someone to restrict my fun? How often did I not want people to tell me what to do? But now we have the Holy Spirit and we recognize the Holy Spirit that He is the one that's trying to bring us back into deeper relationship with God. And when I don't listen to the Holy Spirit, I get miserable, I get angry, I get bitter, I get callous to God, and I want to run from Him. That He's trying to intersect our lives each and every day, trying to bring us into deeper relationship with Him. And how we grow in our relationship with Him is through our Word. 
How do I know the little voice is talking to me? Because it's usually saying exactly what the Bible says. It's throwing verses at us. How many times have we had a verse thrown at us and we didn't even know it was a verse? <laughs> and then later on we're reading through it and we're like, whoa, what's in the Bible? The Holy Spirit is using... The Word, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus' Spirit unleashed on the earth. It's all in one. How many times did He say, go to this chapter and verse in this book? And we're like, uh, okay. And we flip it open and we're like, whoa. That the Holy Spirit can lead us to places in our Word, even if we haven't read it yet, He knows it. Even if we have read it and we forgot it, He knows it got in there because the Word does not come back void and He can say, oh, you read that. Here, remember this? You're like, damn it. Why can't I just do what I want to do? I want to have fun. But how many times as we are trying to go towards fun, we get stuck in some place and we can't get out? And then we're ashamed and our pride gets in the way and we don't know how to confess and we don't know how to admit and we don't know how to ask for help. And we stay there and we're constantly trying to figure out how to get myself out of this place, but yet I keep doing the very thing that I'm not trying to do. That I use sin to help me to get free from sin. It completely doesn't make any sense, but it makes sense in the moment. Well, I'm going to try to get free from porn, so I'm just going to sleep with somebody makes sense. Well, you know what? I'm not going to get really drunk tonight, so I'll just drink beer. You know what? I'm not going to use drugs. I'll just smoke weed. We use this rationalization in our mind to make it okay, and we've created this system in our lives, in our minds, that this sin is okay and this sin isn't. Because you're doing that sin and I'm not, but this sin's okay because I am. Any sin that I'm doing actively is not a big deal. Any sin that I think you shouldn't be doing is a really big deal. <laughs> Christianity 101. All sin, whether we deem it as a little sin or a, sin, a big sin, separates us from God just a little bit or a lot. And the more I repeat it, I can have a million little sins and I can be way farther away from God than one just big sin. Because one big sin, I can be like guilty and confessing, and God, I didn't mean to do it and bring back, where a million little sins, I'm callous and I'm just running the opposite direction. And I don't think it's a big deal, because it's not, like I didn't murder anybody. And we start rationalizing how and justifying how I can keep doing what I'm doing, and it's okay. See, I think that Edom knew what they were doing was wrong. And because Israel stole their birthright, they justified why it was okay. You stole from me, I'm going to steal from you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. How many times have we hurt other people because they hurt us? Here's even a better one. I think you're mad at me, so I'm going to get mad at you. Right? Like, 
I think you're mad. I'm angry. You know, like, why are you pissed off? Well, you're mad at me. I'm like, I wasn't mad at you. (laughs) Happens all the time. Why? I judge, therefore that judgment comes back on me. See, I believe, my interpretation, is that Eden was taking full advantage of the moment because they've been sinned against, so they will sin back. See, the wages of sin is death. I will talk to you all night after this, I promise. I just want to say one thing about Nope. See, the wages of sin is death. Sin is always trying to pull a wage. So when someone sins against me, there's been a wage that needs to be paid. And when I can't get that wage from the person that sinned against me, I hang on to vengeance, I hang on to anger, I hang on to bitterness, because I have this wage that needs to be paid, and I expect you to pay it. And when I can't get the person that sinned against me to pay the wage, I'll pull the wage out of someone else because I'll sin against them. You cheated on me, I'll cheat on you. You stole from me, I'll steal from somebody else. You lied to me, I'll lie to someone else. And this is how sin perpetuates in our lives. But what we have to realize is that Jesus paid the wage. For each and every one of us, all at one time, paid it, boom, done. And if I can't accept that, that I can't accept that he paid the wage, then I struggle with condemnation because I'm still struggling with the wage that needs to get paid. That Jesus isn't enough. Like, Jesus is cool, but that person still needs to suffer. Like, Jesus suffered, but yet, I really want that person to suffer. Jesus, get him. I know I'm not the only one that sick God on somebody. <laughs> See, we want wages to be paid because we elevate ourselves to this point, high point. And see, it's funny because Edom was on a mountaintop. Israel was low. Edom was high. So in their stature, their pride elevated themselves that they knew what was best. So they were going to bring judgment upon Israel. Even though God had already done it through Babylon, Edom was still going to get their wage to be paid. And see, what we have to do, each and every one of us, we have to bring our junk to Jesus and say, you're my wage. You paid for me to be free. And yet we give them about 95% of it and then we got like 5% that we're like, no, I'm not forgivable in this stuff. So Jesus, back off because I don't want you to let me free because I want to suffer some more. And then that gives me the right to hang on to 5% over here against people that have hurt us because if I'm still suffering because I won't let Jesus protect me, then I won't let them get protected or set free either. So I am still dictating who gets paid the wages. That elevates me that I know better than God. Jesus, heal me, but not your way, my way. 
Check them. I want judgment. I want vengeance. I want pain. I want torture. I want them to suffer as I have suffered. And until I get what I want, I'm going to punish myself in Jesus' name. Like, see, I'm saying it out loud, and we're like, damn. And it makes a lot of sense, and I don't like it. But that's what we're doing. Because we won't let the condemnation go. Therefore, my sin nature wants payment. So in Romans 7, it says, why can't I do the things that I want to do? Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? It's because I'm not fully coming to Jesus and saying, I'm ready to do it your way. So my sin nature still has wiggle room. My flesh is like, ah, look, loophole. You know, in the rooms we talk about alcohol being cunning, baffling, and powerful. My sin, my flesh is cunning, baffling, and powerful. It convinces me to do stupid stuff all the time. And then I justify it with Jesus. I'm like, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. See, if I don't fully come before Him and say, I am a wretched sinner and I have no idea how to run my life, and my way of working things out doesn't work, I am yours, completely yours, here's all my junk. Now granted, it's going to take a minute because most of us got a bunch of it. You know, like we're going to be shoveling for a minute. You know, if we're going to nail every sin to the cross, we're going to be there for a minute. Some of us have been sinning a minute. You know, that's why when Jesus said, those without sin cast the first stone, everyone's like, oh, peace out. Because they knew that they were sinners. Do, did we forget? Oh, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. I don't sin anymore. What? I still got sins that I haven't really dealt with because I don't want to deal with them. But that also gives me the excuse to keep hanging on to judgment and anger and bitterness towards someone. Because I'm not letting grace and mercy flow over me and heal me and empower me so I can't let go of them. Because I don't want to let go of myself because that means they got away with it. I'm sorry, but my judgment against somebody and God's judgment against somebody, I've learned that, Jesus, you can have it. And maybe they repent and get grace just like I want. Well, no, that's not fair. There's a fair in Syracuse. You can all go. It's the truth. It's the only fare you're going to get. You can ride rides and somebody can buy you cotton candy. But I guarantee someone will jump in way and you'll get pissed off at the fare too. Can't find parking. Can't find your car. Everything costs too much. Arr. The fare is not fair. Until we come to Jesus, broken, without excuse, realizing that I have no idea what I'm doing. Literally, I have no idea what I'm doing and my best decision caused me and other people more pain. Even if I justify it, even if I think it's fun, even if I don't think anybody else knows about it, even if it's privately in my own room with me, 
that bitterness and that callousness and my attitude begins to seep out into other people. One little lie turns into another one, turns into a justification, turns into something else to make me cover up that sin, something else to help me cope with the fact that I did that. And all of a sudden this thing starts growing. It's like, I don't know where Jesus went. It's because I, I let one little tiny thing in. But see, if I have this little percent that I haven't given to God, and I got this little little bit that I haven't given to God, the enemy's just sitting back there like, oh, time to push this button. And all of a sudden, we respond. All of a sudden, push this button. All of a sudden, we respond. Because he's pushing on the things that aren't yet Jesus's. Why does this keep happening to us? Why does this keep happening to me? Why do I keep ending up in this space? Why does this... Why? 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 The only way that I've ever had any of my whys answered is when I nail that thing to the cross and I say, Jesus, I'm ready to do it your way. And then all of a sudden he pops me up in a situation, he puts me in proximity, he puts me in a relationship, he brings someone across my path, and I'm like, ah, I need to share my testimony with this person. And maybe I'm not completely healed, but at least I'm three steps down the road. And that person needs to hear, like, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I've given this little bit to Jesus and things are already starting to shift. Like, really, Jesus? I don't want to be religious. Me neither. All of a sudden, here's your opportunity to build a relationship with somebody and tell them the truth about you and Jesus that has nothing to do with the rules and going to church. But as long as I'm hiding pain, I come through the motion to church, praise the Lord, happy face to church, but argued the whole way to church. I need to let Jesus into the depths of who I am. And see, Edom's hanging on to all this pain. They're hanging on to all this pain and their pride and their judgment. So Obadiah accuses them. He accuses the leaders. He accuses Edom for their pride and their self-exaltation. Isn't that what we do when we hide our own sin? Even Isn't that what we do when we say, Jesus can't forgive me of this because X, Y, Z? Jesus shouldn't forgive me of this because it shouldn't be forgivable? Many years ago, I was dealing with a young woman that came through the halfway house. Went through school, had a couple of kids, was a teacher. And in one moment... She went from one drug to another drug and it gripped her so strong that she walked out on her kids and didn't turn back. She found herself in the streets of Utica getting pimped out. And that happened for months. She was locked in a room. Nobody knew where she went. Her family was looking for her. Her baby daddies were mad at her. Her kids were broken and lost and and crying. And one day, somebody came across her path and got her out of that situation and got her into ACC. And from there, she went to treatment. From there, she popped up in the Rucker, or in the 1616. And the first day that she was in the house happened to be the day that Celebrate Recovery was happening. And I came with the bus and I picked up a bunch of girls and they came to Celebrate Recovery and she got to hear about Jesus and she got wrecked. Because she didn't think she could be forgiven. She literally read the whole New Testament in less than two weeks. Because Jesus set her heart on fire because she didn't realize that someone could love her. 
But in working with her and teaching her about Jesus, she would not forgive herself for walking out on her kids. And I would tell her over and over again that Jesus had forgave her. It was the drugs that did that. You wouldn't have done that. It's unacceptable. And through that tiny little place that she would hang on to, and it wasn't enough, Jesus wasn't enough, the guys would come calling. And that the condemnation that she felt, she still felt, she'd allow relationships in. And around and around she'd go. Anything that we allow to hide is the enemy's little crack into our life. And he waits for that opportune time to come and push that button. And all of a sudden our emotions rise up and all of a sudden we're doing the same stuff that we used to do. It's almost like autopilot. And we're like, why am I doing this? And we can't even stop ourselves because we hear the little voice say, don't go there, this is going to happen. And we're like, got to go. i, I got to cover up the pain. Because I'm not allowing Jesus to have that little peace. Because we exalt ourselves and our pride won't let ourselves surrender to what Jesus wants to do. You know, it's Israel's pride that led to their destruction because they didn't want to listen to the, te- you know, the Old Testament prophets and tell them to repent and to turn from their idol worship. And then a Babylon and a Syrian came in and brought judgment, brought exile. Obadiah is doing the same thing to Edom. And God tells him that you will be brought down from your heights. You will be destroyed. They don't want to listen to it. They had a haughty place, a high place, a fortified place. Isn't some of those past memories so fortified? It's, it's locked down into some, you know, I call it the denial closet. Like, it's not really in there. I swear it's gone. And we have a mask and a wall and it's fortified and Jesus is always like, What's in that room? But nothing. I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You gonna let me in here yet? No, no, no. I don't like you. Go away. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. You know, Obadiah was telling Edom that there was a way out, but they didn't want to listen. How often has the Holy Spirit been telling us that there's a way out, but we just, not yet, I'm not ready yet, I don't want to do it yet, I don't want to do it your way yet, I, I can still do it my way, I can, I can still manage the sin, I, I don't want to surrender it yet, I, I still like it a little bit, I, I, it's fun, and we wiggle a lot, don't we? We get into this posture where we're justifying it. Anytime anybody says, hey, what are you doing? You know, we, we get real, we get real defensive, because we gotta protect that thing. We get really angry. We push back. Don't talk about my thing. It's mine. But it's when we finally say, you know what? I gotta lay this thing down. You know what? I need to repent of this. You know what? I need to confess this. You know what? I need to seek counseling for that. You know what? I need to work my steps. You know what? I need to get accountable. I need to Because I I can't do it my way. I can't keep hiding this thing and expect it's not infecting me and my relationships. But I'm way better than I used to be. 
Granted, great, I'm, I'm proud of you. Well, at least I don't smoke crack anymore. That's my favorite excuse. I can sleep with a hundred different women and bring 75 of them to church, play house with them, but at least I'm not smoking crack anymore. I'd almost prefer you're smoking crack at this point, because at least when you're smoking crack, you're not doing that. We justify our sin, don't we? And the only thing that we can do to sin is repent and give it to Jesus. The second I try to hide, the second I try to make excuses, the the second I get defensive, the second I, I lash back with anger, that should be my warning signs that says something's wrong. Something's wrong. You know, Obadiah continues to give examples of their pride. You know, and he starts quoting different scriptures. Pride comes before the fall. You know, anything that we put before the Lord, He'll take it. You know, we, you know, there's the expression that anything that we put before our recovery, we lose our recovery. But I think that anything that we put before Jesus, we lose Jesus. You know, the, it's so important that we recognize that any time that we're justifying something, it lessens our relationship with Jesus. Well, I'm a believer, and I, you know, I, I read, I pray, I, you know, we start justifying how much works we're doing, but yet, how often is the Holy Spirit being like, yeah, but I'm talking to you about this thing too, like. I sent this person to talk to you, and now I'm talking to you, and you really like get really angry, and then we don't want to pray, or we don't want to read. You know, they say that sexual sin is the fastest way out of the church. You know, you can read that in Corinthians. Because it's a pleasurable sin, and we don't want to stop. So we avoid church, because we don't want people to tell us that we're doing something we shouldn't. And we avoid church, because we don't want God to tell us that we should do stop doing it. And we avoid our Bible because we don't want to stop doing it. Sex is pleasurable. Sin is pleasurable. It wouldn't be so attractive if it wasn't pleasurable. But yet, once it gets hooked in us, it brings destruction. You know, Obadiah goes on to, to start, you know, he's writing these poems and he, he's illustrating you know, and he's he's spelling the word Edom in Hebrew. Well, the same word for Edom in Hebrew is the same word for humanity. Adam. Man. And because man was prideful and did what it wanted to do, destruction came. Edom's, Edom is following the same pathway as Adam did is that they're reaching for something that they shouldn't do, and they're being deceptive about it. It's not my fault. You know, it's so important that we realize that the, these parallels, you know, Edom's rise and fall is the same as humanity's rise and fall. You know, God will always oppose injustice. You know... God moved in my life in a powerful way. You know, and, you know, I came to the church in 2005 coming off of, 
you know, a relapse and I went out and I smoked a bunch of crack and, you know, I ran out of money basically is the only reason I quit. (laughs) I'll be honest. You know, and people are like, you should go to rehab. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And I went to a detox and they let me out in three days. And I went back to an AA meeting. You know, and and in that that first AA meeting, someone says, hey, my church is doing this recovery group. You should come. You know, and many of you heard this story. And I ended up going. And I heard about Jesus and and it started to move on me. And I, I went to church. And I, you know, accepted the Lord, not really because I want to go to heaven, not because I want to go to hell, but because I needed the pain to stop. A lot of you have heard these stories. But Jesus was just to get sober. The Bible was old, so anything it had to talk about sex, I disregarded. You just don't want me to have fun. And I was going to church, and I was having this relationship with this woman. And she was actually a pastor's daughter to some little town outside of here, and she was way crazy. But anyway, that's a whole other story. <laughs> I remember the day that she spent the night on a Saturday, and she was in my bed on a Sunday morning, and she said, are we going to church? Because she'd been hearing me talk about going to church. And she even said, my mom would be so proud of me that I'm dating somebody going to church. But I didn't want those people to know what I did in my private life. So I didn't go to church. And I stopped going to church. And I was back in the bar and doing cocaine. And now I'm angry at the girl because she convicted me. And now I'm running not just from me, I'm running from God. And she's the reason why. So I got angry with her and broke up with her and went on to the next girl. But then I got to cover up the pain of this girl, so now I'm juggling two different girls. In the midst of my sin, drinking and drugging, hiring a kite, on a January night in 2006, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, the next woman you sleep with is going to have your child. I haven't had sex since. It still took me four more months to get sober. Going to the bars, getting high, being around girls, and I was scared that if I had sex again, I'm going to get this girl pregnant. That same fear is still in me today, but it's the fear of the Lord, because the next woman I sleep with will be my wife, and she will have my child. See, sin will cause destruction. And a lot of times we hear God's voice in our sin and we think it's judgment or we take it as fear. But when we're in Christ, that same word brings prosperity and brings promise and brings blessing. Sexual sin is one of the worst sins that we can commit. Because it's pleasurable and it's in secret. And we hide it. I know that if that didn't happen in my life, I probably wouldn't be standing here now. Because all of my years of trying to get sober, sex was the thing that led me back out again. In all my attempts to to try to, to put down substances, my sexual addiction, my sexual appetite, led me into chaotic relationships and shameful emotions. Because what I knew deep down inside was was wrong. 
the way I acted, the way things I said, what I did in secret was wrong. And because of that secret, I became more and more and more and more perverted. And it led me to this place that finally God dealt with me and said enough. There's been so many times through the years that I've been tempted. I've had people, women try to seduce me. It's like, oh, no, no, no. As, as pleasurable as this will be, I'll have to deal with Jesus. Not today. You ain't worth it. To me, there's no female that is worth messing up my relationship with Jesus. And so often, we trade Jesus for a bowl of soup. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it's the truth. If I truly loved a woman, I wouldn't lead her to my bed because that woman's not my wife. That woman could be someone else's wife. I love her. Doesn't matter. If I'm not doing it God's way, there's consequences that will soon come. Even if I'm getting away with it in the moment. How many times have I stolen money? Consequences will come. How many times have I lied? Consequences will come. How many times fill in the blank that we've done this, that, or the other thing? Consequences will come. And see, Obadiah is telling Edom, consequences are going to come. Like, nah, not me. I'm different. I'm special. Not this time. Well, I haven't heard God. It's so important that we realize that Jesus is trying to lead us to a better life. A holy life. And there's times that 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 wrestling in our flesh will be painful, will be chaotic, will be crazy, will be emotional. But He doesn't care about our circumstances necessarily. He wants us to be holy. And see, God's bringing judgment upon Edom because He's bringing holiness into the equation. You know, that He begins to prophesy about the day of the Lord. But he also begins to say that he's going to restore David's line, that a Masonic king is going to come and lead his people. That, that they will infiltrate all nations. That Edom and Israel become one again. You know, that they've moved against God's prophetic word, but God's going to bring hope into the, God's people because Edom and Israel were both God's people. That he's going to restore his kingdom. That he will repopulate it with a faithful remnant. And that God will provide and produce godly people. And that he's going to expand his kingdom to include all people. Here we are in the Old Testament that's prophesying you and I being here. Up until this point, if you weren't Jewish, if you weren't Hebrew lineage, you didn't get no God. 
You know, it's so important that we realize that this has been foretold thousands and thousands of years ago. See, this little tiny book that's stuck at the end of the Old Testament, and it's like a page, and you can easily miss it, contributes to this larger picture of God's justice and God's faithfulness. That we see this in every single prophetic book. We see this judgment, but in every one, he's talking about his mercy, his hope, his restoration, his people. Jesus is coming. God has a plan. See, they suffered for the same heart condition that we suffer from. Our pride gets in the way, and we want to continue to sin. You know, Edom's downfall is that they wouldn't repent. God deals with evil. God deals with injustice. God deals with sin. Because he was the wage that was paid for sin. Why do those emotions keep coming up when we keep so, we try so hard to stuff them down? Is the cross is calling them. If the cross paid for that sin, it's pulling it out of us. And if we say that we have Jesus, it loosens the ground. It's trying to come out. And we're like, no, 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 I don't want to deal with it. Jesus is like, I got you. And you're like, no, 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 no. I don't know what will happen if I deal with it. I don't know if I, what happens if I open that door. I don't want, uh, and we make a million excuses. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I got it. And we're like, no, 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 no. I don't know, no, no, no. And we argue with Jesus. Am I the only one? Because it's pulling. The cross is pulling it. The cross wants it. It's the payment of that. Now we can say enough's enough and say, I'm going to come before the Lord. And if there's really deep-rooted issues, I really encourage you to start talking to Jesus in private and saying, I don't know how to deal with this. I'm scared. But I trust you. This is going to be difficult, but I trust you. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to. Just give me a second. He's like, okay. If we do it our way, it'll take forever. If we do it his, it could be free in a minute. In his presence, freedom comes. So I encourage you to put worship on and start singing back to him his words. And in the midst of it, say, I'm ready to let go. Take it all. And you'll cry, and you'll weep, and you'll feel broken, and you'll feel raw, and you'll feel vulnerable. And then you ask Him to fill you up. You ask Him to heal you. You ask Him to transform your heart and renew your mind. And you repeat, and you repeat, and you repeat, and you repeat until you get up off your ground and you say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because me hanging on to my sin has not done anything but caused me pain and everyone around me. You just bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us realizes that that you are so good and that you're faithful and that you're loving, that you lead us into certain places to, to help us to find freedom in you. And in our flesh, we turn to the wrong things. Some things are pleasurable. Some things are just to cover. Some things are to help us to, to, to not deal, not have to face, to, to distract. But Lord, help us 
surrender again and again and again, no matter how many times it takes. Come before you, broken. Say, Jesus, I need you. I don't know how to do this. I've been hanging on to this for far too long. It's scary. And Lord, I pray that you meet us in these moments. That you bring healing to our minds, to our hearts, to our lives. Lord, I pray right now that you come and begin to minister to each and every one of us in this room. That you begin to uproot things in our hearts. You begin to uproot and heal things in our minds. Lord, I ask right now that there would be healing. Healing of sexual abuse. Healing of rape. Healing of physical abuse. Healing of child abuse. Lord, I pray that there will be healing of a rejection of a parent. I pray that there will be healing of the abandonment of a parent. Lord, I pray that there will be healing of mistakes that we've made because we felt so unworthy, so unlovable that we made risky decisions. Lord, I pray that you'd come into this area of our, our sexual addiction, Lord, and realize the intimacy that we truly desire is not with another person, is with you and you alone. And I pray that your intimacy will come and intersect us and begin to heal our heart and renew our minds and help us to, to listen to your voice because we know that you love us. Lord, I pray that if anyone is convicted here tonight, Lord, that they would not leave condemned. That that is not this message. This message is a loving message. It may be a convicting message, but it's a loving message. It is not to make anyone feel ashamed. It's not to make anyone feel less than. And I pray right now that you cover that person in their love. Even if tonight's not the night, that they're not ready to let go, they're not ready to deal, Lord, I pray that they would understand that you love them no matter what. There is not anything that can make you love them more, and there's nothing that can make you love them less. But I pray that your love begins to intersect their lives in such radical ways, Lord, that they see that you are better than anything that this world has to offer. I just thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.